This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Port Chalmers, I think, by Bill Southworth. Kia ora, Bill. Yeah, good. Good day, good day. Am I right? Are you in Port Chalmers? Yes, I am. Yes, and very happy to be here. It's a lovely place. It is a very lovely place. So we've been asking people how their bubble life was, and that, then that's turned into a traffic light. How was your bubble life and your traffic light life? Um, it, it was pretty good. Um, you know, we've got a got a large house here, and we've got plenty of books and um, plenty of media, so uh, we saw through it pretty well. However, um, I've had COVID. Um, we were very careful. We wore masks and all the rest of it, and um, uh, watched what we did. But I went to a rugby reunion in the North Island, and I went to a social function connected with that, and um, I did something rather foolish. I was the only person wearing a mask, so I took it off. When I came back to Port Chalmers, I had COVID. Um, it wasn't terrible. It was rather like a heavy cold, but I had rat tests and so on. And after about four days, I was no longer infectious. But I'd passed uh, COVID on to my wife, who got it very badly, and it linked with her for a couple of weeks. And at one stage, we were wondering whether she had long COVID, but she's pulled out of that, out of that as well. So it just shows you, um, if they say wear masks, you really should wear them. Indeed. We got it from a similar kind of a thing. We got it from going to Queenstown for a swimming event, and it spread around the family and out the swimming community like wildfire. Same happened with the rugby reunion. It was a, an old first 15 reunion, and um, eventually about uh, eight of those who had attended the reunion got it. We were, we were all sort of uh, socialising together, so it spread um, the uh, Omicron very, very quickly. Have you lived in Port Chalmers long? No, I, um, I've been here about uh, six years. Um, I retired down here. Um, I came down here initially uh, as a university student um, and spent a happy eight years here, met my wife, uh, started a job on the Otago Daily Times as a reporter, and then went north and uh, didn't return for you know almost 40 years. Um, it took a long time to save my wife to come back down here. She grew up <laughs> on a tiry dairy farm. Um, and it wouldn't come back. She said it was too bloody cold. However, we came down here on holiday and we saw this house in Port Chalmers. Uh, it really would qualify as a multi-million dollar mansion in uh, in Wellington. And when I told her how much it cost, uh, I said less than our cottage in Mount Victoria, Wellington. And uh, so she agreed to come down and has been as happy as a sandboy ever since. <laughs> I see that in Port Chalmers you've, you are keeping yourself busy. You are trying to save the the old foundry? Yes, that's correct. I'm chairman of what's called the Port, uh, Port Chalmers Foundry uh, Society Incorporated, 
Um, Port Chalmers was the centre of the largest shipbuilding industry in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, there was a company called Stevenson & Cook, which employed uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of people building ships. They, in fact, um, built seven minesweepers um, for the Second World War. They had a, um, a, a graving dock uh, right opposite their factory, and their footprint was so large, it went right around, uh, in terms of buildings and so on, right around the harbour front of Port Chalmers. Um, the last remnant of that great industry um, is now just a large brick building known as the Sims Building. And we looked at it and thought it was worth preserving and that it would, um, um, we could do that with uh, two different uses for the building. One is to create a virtual reality museum there from historic photographs and interviews and so on showing um, just how important that industry was and what it did. And the second part will be to use it as a major art centre uh, for art exhibitions and for musical recitals and so on. And we hope to have an artist in residence, amongst other things. And um, already the um, city council has been very, very good and has provided money to um, clean up the site, which is really, really great. But we've now got to turn around and raise a great deal of money over several years to make our dream come true. You don't take on the the quiet things to do. You You could be pottering in the garden. Well, maybe you're doing that as well. Oh, no, not really. I um, <laughs> also uh, produce and present a radio program for Otago Access Radio called Heritage Matters, which looks back into interesting stories from the past in Otago. And um, the presenter of that is Dougal Stevenson, who some of your listeners will remember is probably our greatest television newsreader. Uh, we've done hundreds of stories over the past few years. Dougal and I used to work together at the Avalon Television Centre in Wellington. I was a current affairs reporter and news reporter and chief reporter there at one stage. And, um, yeah, we made the program and we were delighted to be a finalist a couple of years in the New Zealand Radio Award and then to actually win the prize as the best um, spoken program on radio. So, um, you know, that keeps us busy. Um, the stories have to be researched and written and so on. And uh, we found a remarkable series of stories. I'll just mention one very quickly. Um, someone tried to um, assassinate Queen Elizabeth here uh, during a tour in the early 80s. Um, they got up uh, one of the large buildings near the medical school and fired a shot at her and missed. Um, it was all hushed up at the time, and uh, the fellow who did it was simply charged with discharging a firearm in a public place. Uh, but we dug out that story. We found that the detectives who had interviewed him and so on were able to show that um, at the time the Prime Minister, Sir Robert Muldoon, uh, wanted the whole thing hushed up because it would have been bloody embarrassing and we would have been the sort of idiots of Fleet Street at the time. So that's just the sort of thing we do. But the, the wonderful history of the past here with um, uh, pre-European settlement, with um, the um, gold fields and so on in Otago is, is a rich vein of material. It's just great. Is that what what drives it, those stories that are out there? Yeah, it certainly is those stories. And it's a very... Uh, eclectic um, sort of thing. We do all sorts of stories. Um, we did one, for example, recently about um, two lions that escaped uh, the fair in Cromwell, uh, sorry, not Cromwell, Lawrence in central Otago, and um, uh, had to be shot by the local police. And then they, um, they decided to take them down to the main museum in Dunedin and, um, and get them stuffed. 
and uh, that was done actually in Christchurch. And the fellow um, driving back, because he only had a small van, had one of the lions um, on the, the head on the seat next to him. And a woman glanced at him at, uh, at some lights and crashed into the car in front of her. She thought the guy was alongside a lion. So <laughs> great stories like that, but full of them. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have a Bob Dylan. Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall. Why this one? Um, I, I really like Bob Dylan. Um, I was in the sort of period in, in, in the sort of swinging 60s and so on in Woodstock. And I was a great fan of Dylan. And I always particularly liked this particular thing because um, I'm interested in, in social justice and politics. And I think a lot of um, the lyrics kind of link in that direction. Oh, where have you been? My blue-eyed son And where have you been My darling young one I've stumbled on the side Of twelve misty mountains I've walked and I crawled On six crooked highways I've stepped in the middle Of seven side forests I've been out in front of a dozen dead oceans I've been 10,000 miles in the mouth of a graveyard And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain You're gonna fall Oh, what did you see, my blue-eyed son? And what did you see, my darling young one? I saw a newborn baby with wild wolves all around it. I saw a highway of diamonds with nobody on it. I saw a black branch with blood that kept dripping I saw a room full of men with their hammers a-bleeding I saw a white ladder all covered with water I saw ten thousand talkers whose tongues were all broken so guns and sharp swords in the hands of young children And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard And it's a hard, it's a hard rain are gonna fall Yo, what did you hear, my blue-eyed son? And what did you hear, my darling young one? I heard the sound of a thunder that roared out a warning I heard the roar of a wave that could drown the whole world I heard one hundred drummers whose hands were a-blazing I heard 10,000 whispering and nobody listening I heard one person starve, I heard many people laughing 
Heard the song of a poet who died in the gutter I heard the sound of a clown who cried in the alley And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard It's a hard, it's a hard rains are gonna fall Oh, what did you meet, my blue-eyed son? And who did you meet, my darling young one? I met a young child beside a dead pony. I met a white man who walked a black dog. I met a young woman whose body was burning I met a young girl, she gave me rainbow I met one man who was wounded in love I met another man who was wounded in hatred And it's a hard, it's a hard It's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rains are gonna fall. And what'll you do now, my blue-eyed son? And what'll you do now, my darling young one? I'm a-going back out for the rain starts a-falling I'll walk to the depths of the deepest dark forest Where the people are many and their hands are all empty Where the pellets of poison are flooding their waters Where the home in the valley meets the damp, dirty prison And the executioner's face is always well hidden Where hunger is ugly, where the souls are forgotten Where black is the color, where none is the number And I'll tell it and speak it and think it and breathe it And reflect from the mountains so all souls can see it And I'll stand on the ocean until I start sinking But I'll know my song well before I start singing And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard And it's a hard, it's a hard rains are gonna fall To build social justice and politics, and you've got your hand up now. That's right. I'm standing for the Otago Regional Council as a candidate for the Labour Party. Uh, the reason for that is that uh, one of the reasons I wanted to come back to Otago after having my career Uh, in the north and overseas in Canada and, and elsewhere. Um, I went back to a fishing spot that I really loved. I'm a very keen fly fisherman, and I fished all day and didn't even see a fish. 
So I went to the local farm and said, where are the fish? And they said, downstream from here, there's intensive dairy farming and uh, all the sort of uh, nitrates from the um, cow pee and the E. coli from the cow droppings and plus phosphates are being swept into the river. And uh, it's so badly polluted, the fish uh, don't come up in any great numbers any longer. Well, one of the functions of the Otago Regional Council is to look after the rivers. So um, when the Labour Party approached me to be a candidate, um, I thought to myself, yeah, it's worth having a crack to make sure that those rivers in Otago are cleaned up. Social justice and environment, are those two connected to you? Yeah, in particular, I, I think the the way the New Zealand has changed, there are many people doing it really hard in New Zealand now. Many wages are, are very, very poor indeed. I've just been talking to bus drivers here in Dunedin um, who get $22 an hour and um, the shorter bus drivers that can't be recruited. Uh, what has happened over the years in New Zealand is that wages have been driven down, and a lot of them, frankly, are just rubbish. It's impossible to raise a family and pay a mortgage on what a bus driver's paid. Now, a bus driving is a serious job, an important job, and a useful and dignified job. Um, why on earth can't they earn a decent living and pay a mortgage? And that's the sort of thing that interests me. Has it always done? Yeah, you know, for a long time, I um, uh, when I was in journalism, I was um, very heavily involved uh, in the union. And at one stage, was the national president of the Broadcasting Journalists Union. So I've always believed in in social justice and collective bargaining, ensuring that that workers um, are treated with dignity and uh, decently paid for what they do. So all those things link into my past, and um, that's what attracted me to stand for the Labour Party. Although during my career as a journalist, I was never a member of the party, but now that I've retired, I can um, uh, come out of the cupboard, as it were. Did you have to maintain some sort of neutrality as a working journalist? Oh, very much so. Um, it's very important to realise that as human beings are all biased, we've all got our prejudices, and to acknowledge them in yourself and ensure that when you do your job as a journalist, that um, you're giving both sides of the story, that you're fair and that you're balanced and that you're not uh, inserting your own opinion into things. In fact, I was so keen on, on journalism standards uh, as a whole, I took on the job as the um, uh, executive director of the New Zealand Journalist Training Organisation for 10 years, which is the body that actually uh, trains all journalists. Interesting, you said fair and balanced, and that's one that's been rattling around in my head for for a while. And this year, with the increase in disinformation, and for things like climate change, and and you're talking about the nitrates in the river, do we need both sides? Oh, we certainly do, and there's, there's always two sides to something. Um, something that really bothers me is that um, because of the internet and changes, the circulation of our daily newspapers has declined dramatically. Some only have half the circulation they had uh, about a decade ago. Um, the number of journalists working um, has been cut by half. What that actually means is a lot of things are not being reported or covered on New Zealand. And uh, the journalists are still there, have, have got a heavy workload. And um, although people see news and so on on the internet, they basically steal it from newspapers. They just take the stuff. But so long as you don't know the ultimate source of a story, you can't develop the right sort of filter to get rid of misinformation and, and low-grade information. Um, I, I was lucky working in that industry. I know that um, if I read the New York Times or the Guardian newspaper in Britain, that it's a professional source of news I'm getting. But so often now things pop up, pop up, pop up on the internet and people are simply not discriminating um, 
and uh, you get an awful lot of um, misinformation and nonsense floating around now, which really is a great pity. Do you think that that misinformation, disinformation applies to the local and regional issues, uh, you know, the, sort of the, the regional environmental issues? Are we, are we fighting our way through those? Uh, yeah, well, as you know, the, the, the internet is a great thing and Facebook is a great thing, but it's also something of a sewer. Uh, you get stuff in there which is really just rubbish and um, people have a tendency to believe it now. Also, before the advent of Facebook and the internet, uh, people with really wacky ideas couldn't publicize them widely, but now they can. Although um, the internet was meant to be a great thing for democracy, I really wonder if we won't look back on things like Facebook and think, God, we did a huge amount of damage to the intelligence of our country. I know you're not working in it, but I, I, you're very much aware of what's happening in journalism. Do you think that we're going to look back on this period and see a change in in journalism from the pandemic? Um, uh, from the pandemic itself? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, there's uh, sort of been a lot of rather, um, I think, rather shallow reporting in that um, Senator Ardern, the Prime Minister, uh, is said to, in some quarters, to be a dictator and doing this, that, and the other thing. What she has done and her cabinet have done over this period is to follow the advice of specialists and scientists and to follow that advice. And people forget that. Uh, the idea of the lockdowns, the idea of masks, the idea of vaccination, the idea of vaccination mandates and so on, those things all arose from the specialists and pandemics who said, look, this is what you've got to do. And I don't know people actually understand that particularly well. In the regional council, the the role of the regional council is to make decisions when it's not obvious, perhaps, or the um, that the that the there might be disagreement between those the specialists or the specialists and some of the other stakeholders. Do you have a? a a decision-making framework or a values framework or something that's going to help position you in those things? Well, for a start, um, the Otago Regional Council has its own scientists and hydrologists and so on. They're highly trained specialist professional people. And if they do research into the rivers and say they've been polluted to a certain degree or that too much water's been taken out for irrigation, my instinct is to follow their advice and not to listen to people who simply don't have the professional training um, to uh, make decisions on those things. Also, I think that the council needs to respect its staff. Um, it needs to try and uh, be more collegial, make decisions uh, in a civil and constructive way rather than uh, attacking one another. And those are the sorts of things that I'd like to see on the council. I'm not sure that I've seen a trend... Um, graph of the health of our rivers, but I'm a swimmer, and I can tell you they're not going in the right direction. What's going wrong? Well, I, I, I've done a lot of uh, research into the um, uh, the scientific readings uh, of our rivers in Otago, and uh, 17 of them are rated as being in very poor condition. Now, that's an absolute disgrace, uh, and unfortunately, much of that um, pollution has come from intensive dairy farming, although it is not the only cause. You, you also get pollution from urban areas and you get pollution from forestry and also, uh, although to a lesser degree, from, from sheep droppings and so on. 
Um, so, you know, we've got a task in front of us and there are techniques uh, for turning those rivers um, back to a decent level. For example, in the Pomahaka uh, River, there's, there's a, a group of farmers who got together. They started their own um, nurseries and glasshouses and started growing the right plants to soak up those nitrates, which um, are planted along the riverbanks um, and capture that stuff before it gets into the river. Uh, grass itself is not good at absorbing things like nitrate, but there are plants that do a really good job. And the self-help down there by the farmers is a wonderful model, which I'd like to see extended right throughout Otago and subsidised by the Regional Council, because it works. The Regional Council's a strange beast that seems beset by a rural-urban split, because the the urban areas are dominated by farmers. Do you you see that, and and how how can we improve that? Well, our farmers are very important. Um, you know, our major earning of um, uh, overseas exchange comes from our farming industry. Um, farmers like to point that out. Um, but I, as a student, was a freezing worker, and I like to point out that, um, yes, you provide the sheep um, and you provide uh, the milk and so on, but there are lots of workers on a chain uh, in the freezing works, uh, in, in dairy factories and so on, who enormously add to the value of your raw material you've supplied. By the time it's loaded onto the ships and unloaded in China or in, in, in America, there's been a tremendous value-added thing done by other workers who never actually get mentioned. Um, but as far as the divide you talk about, um, it's only natural if you've um, been elected to a rural area to be very conscious of farmers and their needs for, for water and so on. And, uh, you know, I guess there may be a tendency for them to... Um, to uh, always rubber stamp things that farmers want, um, although that may be overstating the situation. Just as there may be a tendency for people from Dunedin who are also elected onto that body not to fully understand uh, the needs of farming. It's it's a complex area, um, but there is, uh, from what I've seen in the voting patterns, you're right, there is a an urban-rural divide uh, on the council. Yep. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess... Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui ki a koutou ko I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here making things better. Thank you. I'm speaking to you, of course, from one of my favourite places to be, which is where the land meets the sea. I'm sure you'll be able to hear in the background the song of the sea, that beautiful breath, the waves moving in and out. And of course, not only am I here, but so are lots of other human animals who love this place too. And they're doing all sorts of things, running up and down the beach, surfing, playing with their dogs, canoodling up in the sand dunes, having a picnic with their friends. It's a beautiful place to be. And how wonderful that we can freely frolic about in these wild spaces again now. There's just been a newly named juvenile female sea lion. Her name is Queenie. 
as chosen by the Wild Dunedin team, which is a super beautiful name. Very happy about that. Beautiful queen. And of course, we're so lucky here in Aotearoa's Dunedin that we've had many of our wild species who became locally extinct returning, not just at my heart's home workplace or a Kanoe Eco Sanctuary, but all along our coastline, like Mum the Sea Lion. And it's these stories of hope that really inspire ongoing conservation efforts. I know for me that seeing the change that's happened just in the time that I've come back here from the UK has meant so much to me and inspires me every day. This evening we have a wonderful fundraising quiz from the Otago Primary Principals Association, so I'm heading along there. And this is people who have given their lives to education, their lives to the lives of so many other human animals, caring for them, encouraging them, giving them spaces to grow and learn and thrive. So inspirational and now giving their time to answer some questions, win some prizes, buy some raffles, all to fundraise for Orokanui. And I'm so grateful for that. And so of course here I am at St Clair. It's a really really beautiful beautiful beach. And a special thing about this beach of course is that there has been an esplanade created here. And throughout the year the sea comes and sweeps away a lot of the sand, a lot of the sand dunes. And parts of the esplanade collapse and have to be rebuilt. And part of the beach where people like to walk is swept away and has to be rebuilt in various ways. At the moment we have what I like to call the beach couch, which are some long fabric sausages full of sand that have worked quite well. But of course it reminds me of all of these efforts we make to remain here, all these efforts we make to have a, a beautiful place that is stable that we can walk on in all realms of our lives and I really admire that and of course it's not only our species that's doing that it's all life moving with the cycles and the the shifts and the changes all around us all the time and of course what we can do is care for each other acknowledge the uncertainty acknowledge the the difficulties but do everything we can to keep each other safe and protect each other make sure we have a beautiful sunset to look forward to walking in together or a beautiful sunrise to watch turning the water the opalescent colors of a shell all these things give us hope every day and of course for me being part of this show is immeasurably helpful. And so a big thank you to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me. And I'll look forward to talking to you again next time. Thanks so much. Kakitu. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. I'm talking with Bill Southworth. Bill, you mentioned the buses before and I live in Sawyers Bay and you live in Port Chalmers. So if we when we're catching the bus, it's probably the same bus. If it turns up. How are we going yeah, to well, fix this mess the buses have got into? Well, I think um, there are a variety of ways of doing it. Um, 
what has to be addressed is that the poor wages for bus drivers make it very hard to attract sufficient numbers to provide a good service. Um, I, I think that um, we've definitely got to look at what we're paying our bus drivers and, and pay them more. I mean, uh, a bus driver on $23 an hour, if he or she is lucky, um, isn't getting anything like the truck driver they pass who's on $30 an hour. Something is seriously wrong. I mean, um, I think the figure is there was something like 86 um, driver positions here in Dunedin at one stage. Well, surely if they can't attract people, the thing to do is to pay them better. Uh, and secondly, I know, having lived in Wellington, that you could stand on a bus stop and it didn't have to be a major hub. And you could look up and at that bus stop, there'd be an electronic thing that would tell you how many minutes away the next bus is and where it's going. I think they should be, that electronic system should be right throughout the bus system so that people know what's actually happening. Um, the second thing is that um, there have been some electric buses uh, bought, and I think that's a great idea and should be extended, even though they're expensive. We can't continue to play Russian roulette with global warming. We've got to give up some of the things we like to do um, to save the planet. I really do believe that, and that we see every night on television the terrible flooding and other things that is caused by global warming because the, the warming of the sea is evaporating the water up into the clouds where it hits the land. Down it comes in huge trenching. I'm kind of wondering when Dunedin is going to get its um, its great Nelson weather event. Um, I, I think it's inevitable. And if you get people out of cars and into public transport, you reduce the chances of that global warming. So that's another good reason to uh, expand the bus system. Do you think we should keep the, the low fares that we've got at the moment? Um, well, what I'd like to see is that we introduce free fares for children, students, and people with community cards, and that we investigate the possibility of making all public transport free. Now, that sounds pretty radical, but there are cities overseas uh, that have done that um, to combat global warming. In fact, um, I was just reading today in Florida, the cities of uh, Miami and Orlando have fr free bus systems. There are cities in Europe that have free bus systems. Um, it's a great way to combat global warming and a great way given the cost of living for people on lower wages, to give them a, uh, a great way to cheaply get to and from work. And when the government announced the, um, the, the subsidising the, the public transport um, in association with the petrol, um, the petrol tax uh, reduction, yeah. which was a brilliant linking, if, if, if you ask me, but... The number of how much that cost for four months or whatever it was seems remarkably small. Yeah, but also I think there's something we need to bear in mind. If we really want to address global warming, it's not going to come cheap. It's not going to be easy. Uh, it's not going to be easy either for us to um, change the habits of a lifetime of jumping into a car all the time when we could actually walk down the road and get on a bus. Um, and, you know... Uh, you know, public transport is is really vital and is a public good. And why not subsidise it heavily so that it becomes free? I mean, when you think about it, we don't have to pay for the pavements we walk on. Why should we have to pay for the public transport we we ride on? Talking about climate change, we do have areas in Otago where we're having to see, or you know, that the, there are areas of shoreline erosion. There are areas of inundation, the regional council is not going to be able to stop climate change. It needs to do its bit to contribute to stopping it. But how do we, uh, as a regional council, what do we do about it? 
Well, you know, you take the flood in the South Dunedin. Now, it seems the consensus is that South Dunedin flooded because it's um, gratings or mud traps, as they call them. Too many of them are blocked and the water could escape. And also that the uh, pumping systems at uh, Anderson's Bay, Portobello and so on weren't working well. And now that those things have been upgraded and there's a new um, contract to uh, clearing those mud traps, that's going to help. But also, um, I, I'm a keen follower of rugby, and uh, the last World Cup I went to, um, sorry, the one before the last one, um, I went to the Netherlands to, to a rugby club there, and um, they showed me around what they've done there in the Netherlands. For hundreds of years, they've lived below sea level. They have the dikes, they have the pumping systems, they know how to deal. Uh, with flooding and how to keep the sea at bay. I wonder if um, anybody in Dunedin, like the regional council or the city council, has thought about maybe bringing over some of those Dutch experts to have a look at South Dunedin and to give advice. You mentioned the Nelson-style flooding, and of course we all everybody's aware that the um, the statistics about a one-in-a-hundred-year flood, you know, is this the third one-in-a-hundred-year flood we've had this year? It's becoming more obvious it's becoming more volatile well the sad thing is you know they've known about global warming for 50 years um president truman was given advice on it and i think he was president from roughly 1945 to about 1952 or three somewhere around there and they've known that the rising uh, co2 in the atmosphere creates a sort of a a, uh, glasshouse effect and and, and reflects the heat back and causes all the problems. They've known for a long, long time, but they've put off and put off and put off doing anything about it. Um, And also, of course, um, being a journalist, I'm very uh, aware of the um, misinformation and clever spin that can come out of big public relations firms and uh, the coal, uh, oil and gas industry has seeded ideas for for decades that somehow... um, human activity doesn't cause global warming and that really it's not a big problem. So we've delayed for far too long doing what we should do. And the longer we delay taking proper action, the worse it's going to be. We all just have to hope that we don't reach that system where they talk about the, the tipping point, that things get so bad that we can't stop it ratcheting up. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Eric Bogle. And the band played Waltzing Matilda. Why this one? I think it's it's, it's really good. Um, uh, both Australia and New Zealand have always sent young men overseas to die in large numbers, for initially for the empire, and then I guess correctly to fight against Nazism and fascism. But war is, I think, glorified far too much, and that this particular song gives some perspective on, on the harm it does to people. Now when I was a young man I carried me pack And I lived the free life on the rover From the Murray's Green Basin To the dusty outback Well I waltzed my Matilda all over Then in 1915 my country said, son, it's time you stop rambling, there's work to be done. So they gave me a tin hat and they gave me a gun. And they marched me away to the war. 
and the band played waltzing Matilda as the ship pulled away from the quay. And amidst all the cheers, the flag waving and tears, we sailed off for Gallipoli. And how well I remember that terrible day, how our blood stained the sand and the water. And of how in that hell that they called Suvla Bay We were butchered like lambs at the slaughter Johnny Turk, he was white and he primed himself well He showered us with bullets and he rained us with shell And in five minutes flat he'd blown us all to hell Nearly blew us right back to Australia But the band played waltzing Matilda When we stopped to bury our slain We buried ours and the Turks buried theirs Then we started all over again And those that were left, well, we tried to survive In that mad world of blood, death and fire And for ten weary weeks I kept myself alive Though around me the corpses piled higher Then a big Turkish shell knocked me arse overhead And when I woke up in me hospital bed And saw what it had done Well, I wished I was dead Never knew there was worse things than dying For I'll go no more waltzing Matilda All around the green bush far and free To hum tents and pegs A man needs both legs No more waltzing Matilda for me So they gathered the crippled The wounded, the maimed And they shipped us back home to Australia The legless, the armless, the blind, the insane Those proud wounded heroes of Suvla And as our ship pulled into Circular Quay I looked at the place where me legs used to be And thank Christ there was nobody waiting for me To grieve, to mourn and to pity But the band played waltzing Matilda As they carried us down the gangway But nobody cheered 
They just stood and stared Then they turned all their faces away And so now, every April, I sit on me porch And I watch the parade pass before me And I see my old comrades, how proudly they march Reviving old dreams of past glories And the old men march slowly, all bones stiff and sore They're tired old heroes from a forgotten war And the young people ask, what are they marching for? And I ask myself the same question But the band plays waltzing Matilda And the old men still answer the call But as year follows year More old men disappear Someday no one will march there at all Waltzing Matilda Waltzing Matilda Who'll come waltzing Matilda with me And their ghosts may be heard As they march by that billabong Bill, the theme of our show is positive but not deluded, although in the last few months we've been convinced to add a dash of deluded. What is the role of a positive mindset for you? Well, the role of a positive mindset is that um, human beings have struggled through terrible things in the past. They've struggled towards the light, as it were. I mean, democracy took hundreds of years to actually develop. But, um, you've, you, you know, you've got to keep struggling. You've got to keep, keep on. You've got to keep a positive uh, mind thing. Um, you take, at the moment, people are worked up about the All Blacks uh, losing a few games. Look, the All Blacks have been almost unique in world sports history. For almost 100 years, they've been the winning dominant team. Now, the others have caught up with them. The All Blacks may now just be one good team amongst three or four of them. And we've got to get used to losing and be mature about it and stop attacking individuals like the coach and so on and realize that, hey, we've still got a great rugby team, um, but uh, maybe uh, we now have to get used to losing. Now, that to me is a positive thing. It doesn't mean to say you don't struggle hard, you don't try to win, but you just be positive and have a balanced attitude. We've seen lots of change in the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Well, I like to think that um, we're eventually going to deal to um, high food prices in New Zealand caused by the duopoly of the two major supermarket chains. Strangely enough, um, I'm also chair of the West Harbour branch of the Labour Party, and uh, I drafted the initial remit about having an inquiry into supermarket prices and then argued it at various conferences, and now that's happening. 
And um, I think that that's a very positive thing. Uh, already they've had legislation to stop the big supermarkets blocking any competition buying land near them using land covenants. Uh, they've now come up with the idea of freeing up access to the wholesale arms of the two duopoly. I mean, it was amazing that if you ran a dairy, um, you had to go to a supermarket and buy stuff to sell in your own dairy and mark it up for whatever the price was in the supermarket. Giving dairies in particular access to those wholesale arms of, of the things is going to be a very, very positive thing. Um, so I think that's one of the great things that's happened recently. And it's you won't see price drop dramatically in time, over time, but uh, it will drop. What stimulated me to do that is that we were in Germany and I went to a supermarket to buy some food. And I was absolutely amazed at how much more, how much cheaper everything was compared with New Zealand. So I got the supermarket flyer with the prices on, came back to New Zealand and started comparing prices. And eventually I decided to have a look at the price of two litres of milk in London, in Sydney and in Dunedin. And you know Dunedin was $2 more expensive than all those other places. And I thought, heck, there's something wrong here. So that led to the remit and led to the Commerce Commission inquiry and so on. So that, that worked well. I suppose a career in journalism, particularly looking at how systems work, gives you some insight as to where the, where the sweet spots are for, for intervention, where, where you can make system change happen. Yeah, that's very true. And something I was in the press gallery, that's the, the journalists who cover Parliament for uh, part of my career. And what struck me is that um, we blame politicians of whatever party for decisions that are made, but people forget that you, um, when you get into government, when you become a cabinet minister, um, you have officials with great skills in economics or medicine or education or whatever who come to your office and, and um, give you advice. And you say, well, look, I'd like to do so-and-so. And they'll say, well, if you do that, so-and-so will happen down the line. So the cabinet minister is actually somebody who gets um, high-grade advice as to options and then makes decisions about it. They just don't dream these things up um, out of the blue. Although... Mm, Maybe a Kiwi build is a bit different to that. <laughs> Do you think it's like Yesminster? Uh, not really. I think that um, uh, you can't expect an individual to have all the specialist skills um, and uh, they have access to the highly trained, highly skilled, highly educated public servants who give them advice and help to um, guide their decisions. Now, I don't think it's yes minister, actually. I just think it's professional public service servants um, uh, serving the public. I have some questions to end the show and not very much time, so we're going to have to wriggle. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Well, I think uh, creating the inquiry into supermarket prices. Yes, well done you. And it seems to be having impact. It's, well, it's, it seems to have gotten traction. It will over time. Um, to really crack it, they need to bring in another um, uh, major player like the Aldi chain from Germany, which uh, drove prices down dramatically in Australia when it's set up there. Um, Aldi has indicated uh, that it's not at the moment interested in coming into the market, although Costco is setting up in Auckland, and that should be pretty interesting. But the real key to it is having more competition um, in the supermarket industry, having more players there. Um, they found that um, the two companies, which basically are based in Australia, um, are making more profits <laughs> at a higher rate in New Zealand than they are in Australia, simply because the competition isn't here. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes, 
It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? My superpower is, um, I hope, empathy. A desire to um, help the underdog and, and lift us all up together rather than just being a, a selfish individual. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh, very much so, definitely. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, well, usually I go to get down and get the uh, Target Daily Times, which is what gets me up in the morning, <laughs> to read the newspaper. But also it's to try and make the world a better place. I know many of us feel exactly the same way. I don't want to sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet. It's just the hope that people will treat one another decently and create a better world than the one they found. So this might be obvious, but you might have something else to say. So what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, Well, as I mentioned, um, trying to get elected to the Otago Regional Council and trying to ensure that uh, the river environments and the air and the land in Otago um, is looked after better than it has been in the past. Do you have a vision that we can hold you to in three years' time of what you would, would have liked to achieve? Well, I think it's pretty obvious for what I'd like to achieve. But remember, um, politicians are silly to promise things because um, <laughs> yeah. decisions are made. It was worth a try. Are by a, <laughs> decisions are made uh, by a majority on, on, on a council or a parliament or whatever. All you can do as an individual is push and try hard to make those decisions good ones. But to promise things in advance as a politician really is pretty dishonest. But you could be satisfied that you've made a difference. I certainly hope so. And um, like I said, it was great to have that effect on the inquiry into supermarket prices. I hope three years from now I'll be able to look back, if I'm elected, uh, and say, uh, yep, it did make a difference. And possibly on something quite unexpected. Possibly, yeah, because um, I'll have, if I am elected, I'll have a lot to learn. And there may be things there that I certainly don't know about at the moment um, that I'll be able to learn and um, help improve. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yeah, um, try and have some fun. (laughs) I'm sure we can manage that. Okay. Bill, thank you very much for joining me. Okay, you're welcome. They paved paradise, put up a parking lot With a pink hotel a boutique and a shitty hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Pave paradise, put up a parking lot. They took off. Put them in a tree museum And they charged people a dollar A dollar and a half Just to see them Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. 
We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Sasha Dobson's version of A Big Yellow Taxi. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I have been joined from Port Chalmers by Bill Southworth. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Marty Wa. Late last night, I heard the screen door slam, door slam. A big yellow taxi took away my old man. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.